Joshua chapter 8. Don't throw your pens. Joshua chapter 8. All right. So, Joshua 8. Somebody give me a quick recap. Where are we at? How did we get here? It's been a couple weeks since we've touched the book of Joshua. Some of you, hopefully you did a bit of review, like I asked you guys to do through GroupMe. Those of you that are still not on GroupMe, shame on you, and God knows, and God can convict you. Okay, so, where are we at? How do we get here? What's going on in Joshua chapter 8? We can kind of lead our way through. Go ahead, Emily. Yes. So, Achan takes of the accursed thing, and it causes Israel to sin, because they were in the battle of what? When he took the accursed thing. Jericho. So he took the accursed thing from Jericho. Now God is leading his people to conquer the promised land. And the first city that they take is? Jericho. 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 And in order to take that city, do they fight against it immediately? No. No. What do they do? (coughs) They spy it first, and then they walk around it each day for seven days. On the seventh day, how many times? Seven. Seven times. And they were quiet the whole time, and then God said, all right, Tell the people, you go around to the seventh time, shout, and the walls are going to fall down flat, and then you go in and you take the city. Sounds psycho. Sounds crazy. But it's what God told them to do. Did they believe God? Yes, they did. And they did it, and God delivered. And, but God told them one warning. Do not take of the accursed thing. And we talked about that. And for some of you guys, we talked about your accursed thing. There's a certain thing in your life that when you touch it and you take of it, it defiles everything. Everybody has an accursed thing. I have one, you have one, and it's my weakness. It's my soft spot. It's the part that the enemy can take advantage of me and in my life. It's the thing that I'm embarrassed about. The thing that I don't want to talk to other people about. That's your accursed thing. And when we take of that accursed thing, typically it it deals with covetousness and idol and and idol and idolatry and and worshiping ourselves over God and other things like that. When we take of that accursed thing, it defiles everything. Because here's what happened. So they took Jericho, success, massive victory. And then they move on to the next city, which is the city of? Ai. AI. And what happens in Ai? They got their rear ends kicked. And there was like, I think it was like 38 men died as a result. And they lost all their confidence. And see, this is what happens sometimes in your spiritual journey. You get saved, all right? You finally get to the point where you're like, God, I need you as my savior. He rescues you, does something absolutely amazing and nearly impossible in your own mind and in your own thinking and in your own wisdom. And then all of a sudden things are going great. They're going great. But then you begin to trust in yourself again. And then you fall flat on your face and you fail and you feel utterly defeated. Like you cannot move any forward, move forward at all. Have you been there? Yes. I have. It stinks. It stinks. And so what does God tell Joshua to do? Because remember, he's weeping on his face. And he's like, ah, there's no way we can't do this, God. Ah. What does he tell him to do? Get up. There's sin in the camp. There's sin among the people. You need to deal with the sin. And you need to deal with it utterly. And so then God finally reveals who it was. And he confronts him. And then what happens to Achan and to his family and to his cattle and to his tents and to everything that he has? What happened? They were stoned with stones and they burned it with fire. They utterly had to deal with sin. And that was not an easy thing for Joshua to do. Remember we talked about he probably saw Achan grow up as a child. And we know that he did because Joshua was part of the last generation. Joshua and Caleb are the only two that are part of the old generation that were allowed to go into the promised land. And so he would have seen when Achan was born. He would have seen him grow up as a kid. He would have seen him as a teenager. He would have seen him get married. He would have seen him have kids. And now he gets to the point where he's like, I got to obey God. He wants us to deal with the sin. He wants it completely gone. See, a lot of us, when it comes to the sin in our life, we're willing to, when we get to the point where we get frustrated with ourselves and frustrated with sin, we're willing to kind of deal with it to the point where like okay i finally admit that i have a problem and that i can't handle it and that god needs to save me from it but when it comes to truly dealing with our sin there are very few people that are willing to take the 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 time and the sacrifice to actually go and utterly annihilate and kill that sin so it doesn't defile anything any longer but that's what god wants you to do that's what god wants you to do all right so Joshua deals with the sin. 
And now that leads us into chapter eight because they still have AI in front of them. They still have the city that they need to take and they still need to go after because they still have land to conquer. So they can make a decision. What are their decisions? They got two decisions to make. What do they got? What are their decisions in front of them right now? They could either. Okay, obey by going or not obey by not going and quitting. Because remember, God said this land is yours. Like this, all this land is yours. And he says the exact same thing to you guys, Christian. Come on, think about this for a second. Has God redeemed you from your iniquities and your sin? Has he given you eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you received him as your savior? If he has, he has given you something, an inheritance that is like, I mean, massive, like something you could never do. He gave you as a free gift eternity with him and to participate in his future kingdom for all of time. And yet sometimes we sit back in our own failures and our own defeat and our own sin and we act like God can't help us overcome these little hills when he has obliterated the mountain in front of you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand this because I get this way too at times. Like there are times where I stay back and I'm like, oh, oh, and I'm utterly defeated in my Christian walk where I'm like, I can't do this or man, I just keep messing up here. Or I just keep doing that. And I completely forget. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God saved me from an eternity in hell in the lake of fire, something that I could not do, something that is radically impossible, like out of my own strength, my own hands, I cannot overcome. And then I have this little thing in front of me in comparison, this tiny thing that I feel like I can't, I can't get over. Are you kidding me? Of course you can. If God could purchase your eternity and rescue you from your destiny to go to the hell and lake of fire, he most certainly can help you with your little sin problems here. Because your big sin problem that was going to send you to hell, he took care of completely. And once you trust him as your savior, his spirit moves inside of you. God's spirit, the spirit of Jesus the Bible talks about, he is living inside of you. And you can't tell me that you do not have the power and the ability to overcome this crap in your life. The reality is, is that you're staying there, that you don't want to move forward, and only you and God really know the reason why. Because you can. The issue is, who are you gonna believe? What are you gonna believe? Are you gonna believe God? Are you gonna believe yourself and your own emotions? Are you gonna believe what God has said? Or are you gonna believe what other people are saying? That's the reality behind it. And so we need to take the blinders off. We need to be obedient. And that's what chapter eight is all about. So let's talk about this. Round two. Wait. All right. So round two with AI. After a stunning defeat in AI, due to Achan's sin of taking the accursed thing, the people of Israel are feeling the pangs of defeat and demotivation. Where do they go from here? There is still a mission from God to take, to take their land, but what are they to do? They must turn to the Lord to get instruction and get back into the battle. Joshua hears from God and leads the people back into the mission. The grace of God runs deep when we are willing to truthfully and thoroughly deal with sin. And see, that's the key. You have to come to the spot where you are just so sick and tired of struggling that you just literally give up. That's what you have to do. Like you have to come to that spot in your life where you are just so tired of falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling that you finally say, you know what, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to do it your way. But unfortunately, many of us have to fall a lot. When in reality, you don't need to. It's just your stubbornness and your pride that's putting yourself in these situations where you keep falling. When you know deep down you just need to be obedient. And this is the same for me too. So let's take a look at the first thing. So verse one and two, let's read it together. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city 
and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So the first thing that we see here is that God calls us back to the battle. God calls us back to the battle. So they could stay in defeat and they could just sit there and wallow in their self-pity. But God says, no, you need to go. And see, that's what we really need to do. There's a lot of us that we are defeated. We make mistakes. But do you realize that your past does not determine your future? Like your past mistakes, they do not mean that you have to make the same mistakes today. I don't know. That might be like a radical, mind-blowing situation that you may not have thought of before. But there's a lot of us that that's what we do. Because we keep failing, we think that's who we are. And we continue down that road. That's crazy. No. Do you know that you can actually change as a person? You don't actually have to keep doing the same things that you've done before. I I mean, I don't know. know. Maybe you didn't realize that, but that is the absolute truth. You don't have to keep doing the same things you're doing before. Now, in some cases, it might require a great amount of humility because changing who you were into who you need to become might require you to apologize to some people. It might require you to admit that you were wrong about certain things. It might sacrifice the image that you might have with certain people. But let me tell you, what's more important, the opinions of men or the opinion of God? It's an easy one to answer. It's a hard one to live. Because people are in front of you day after day after day after day. So it's easy to be controlled by the opinions of people and to be afraid of people. And that's why early on, I memorized a verse out of Proverbs. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. That verse I've hidden in my heart because I struggle with this. And I know a lot of you guys do too. The things that you do on a daily basis are swayed very easily by the people around you. But you need to come to a spot, and this is called maturity, where you have the character to stand up and say, you know what? I care more about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. And whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm still going to love people. And I still want them to love me, but I love God more. I love God more because he loves me more. And at the end of the day, when time is over, the opinions of those people don't even matter anymore. And only God's matters. And that's something that you need to believe and you need to hang on to. And so they're in this position. Are they going to stay defeated? Or are they going to believe God and go? Because God tells Joshua, go. And look what he says at the very beginning. The Lord said to Joshua, what did he say? Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Okay? Okay, I understand you got fear. I understand that you might be dismayed. Fear not, though. God himself saying, fear not, and don't be dismayed. That's exactly what he says. And so that's the first thing that we need to take a look at. Dispel fear and dismay by hearing, believing, and obeying God's word. Because that's what you need to do. You know, something happened to me this past week. I was struggling with some stuff in my own heart and some sin issues in my own life. And I've memorized verses, and, and I've hidden them in my heart and in my mind. And, uh, and so I was thinking about those verses, and they helped me. And so that's why you memorize verses. But I will tell you, one of the things that actually helped me more than that is I actually opened up my Bible, and I read those verses. And I read them with my own eyes, and it did something completely different. So I'm not saying don't memorize, because that's not what I'm saying at all. You need to memorize verses. But those, mem- those memorizing that, that I've done of those verses in the past that have helped me, and I remember where it's at. But there's something about when you go to the Bible, especially when you're struggling with something, and you go to the Bible, and you actually read what God has said about that thing. And then you're like, oh, because I believe God's word. Now, if you don't believe God's word, it won't do jack. But I believe God's word and I read those words and I'm like, oh, and it brought me to tears about myself and who I am and my life and who God is and who I need to be. And that just helped me. And it was a reminder to me that when I am struggling and I have things that are going on and I go to God's word, I need to read God's word. I need to see what he has to say. I may know what he has to say, but there are days that you just need to read what he has to say. And God uses that inside your heart in order to change your perspective and to change your attitude and to change everything. But that's what we need to do. 
We might be afraid. You might be dismayed. You might be down and depressed about something. But what you need to do is you need to hear, believe, and obey God's word. That's what you need to do. Because God wants you to move forward. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to hear it, believe it, and obey it. Let me get to, let's go to Psalm 46. I want to get a volunteer to go uh, to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Go ahead and take Psalm 56 for Everyone else go to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. All right, so listen to Psalm 56, verse 4. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do. All right, say it one more time. I don't think the people on the other side heard it. They're flipping. Go ahead, do it again. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Okay, so he's not going to fear what other people are going to do to me. I've put my faith and my trust and my hope in God and what he has said. Now look at Psalm 46, and I wanted you to see this one because this is one of those, those psalms that when I read it, man, it moves me in my heart. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, when you're in trouble, God says, I am with you there. A lot of times when we're in trouble, we feel like God is not around, and that is not true. He is there. He is a present help in trouble. Therefore, because of that, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. Now, he calls them to stop and to pause for a second. That's what Selah means, is to stop and pause. It's a music term there, because this is actually a song that the Jews would sing together. Now, think about that for a second. Have any of you been a part of an earthquake before? Okay, Jamie has. You have? Okay. How did that make you feel? Kind of yeah, kind of creepy. Why? You feel the floor like moving underneath Yeah. The thing that you continually walk on day after day after day is now moving, and now it makes you so unsure of everything else around you. Like, I've never been a part of an earthquake. And where was yours at? Maryland. Okay. Was it freaky? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, convince me. <laughs> yeah, you kept falling over. Yeah. So you think about the earth being removed. Like, if you were to hear people. And I've seen videos of it, but I've not actually experienced one myself, but I've heard testimony of it. That when you have something that is so solid and so firm, that all of a sudden it begins to move and to shake. And all of a sudden now you're like, oh, my word. And it freaks you out because everything that around you that was once stable is now falling apart. And you feel like you're going to die because you can't count on anything anymore. And so he says in this passage, though the earth be removed, like the surface that you walk on, though it just completely disappear and you have nothing else to walk on. You have nothing else to rely upon. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Anybody see a mountain? Just. No, you, we've not seen that. But what if you were to take a mountain and throw it into the midst of the sea? What would that do? Like, let's just think about this practically, logically. What would that do? Massive tsunamis. It would. I mean, think about that. Think about a rock falling from the sky into the ocean. What would happen? Massive devastation. And it would destroy everything else around you. Okay, what's the next one? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Okay, I remember we were just in Niagara Falls, and they have this rapid coming out of the falls. It goes into this valley, and it pinches together. And you have this, this, these rapids that come together, and it's a class six. So if you know anything about rapids, I've gone on a class three, and I think at one point it was a class four. And that was pretty freaky. I mean, it was pretty freaky. You get you lost in those rapids, and, I mean, you're coming up for air. You have no idea where things are going. Uh, people that go down to the, the, uh, the New River Gorge and stuff like that, um, you know, I think it's class one, class two. So that's like a piece of cake. Class six is you're going to die class. That's what it is, pretty much. And so you had these people, like the first guy to ever swim across the, um, uh, the, the English Channel, he was super famous. And so he decided, you know what? I want to be more famous. I want to go somewhere and swim across that. So he decides to go to these rapids. And he's like, mm, I'm going to swim across. Guess what happened? He, he did. He died. These rapids, I'm telling you, they were intense. 
Megan and I were looking at it and we took video and the video doesn't even do him justice. They were like, it was like mountains of water. I mean, and I'm not kidding you. It would go up six, seven, eight feet and then come down again. And then six, seven, eight feet, continuous rapids. Like they look like little mountains inside of this river. And I'm like, what psychopath would want to go through these rapids? That's insane. That is absolutely insane. Okay, so in this psalm, David is speaking here, or actually it's the, it's the song of, the, of Korah. So it's actually these guys of the, uh, the Kohathites that ended up where they were part of the, the uh, musicians in the temple. So they wrote this psalm and they said, God's our refuge and our strength. Though everything else around me completely falls away, though the, the, everything, the mountains cast into the sea and you got massive tsunamis that destroy everything around me, though you have... You know, these, these roaring waters that just tear the rocks into pieces and there's nowhere else to go, I'm going to be okay. Because I believe God. I know God. He's my God. And do you realize there's a day, according to Second Peter chapter 3, where everything, everything in existence is going to, going to just be gone. Like everything's going to burn up. But Hebrews chapter 1 talks about how God holds everything together by the word of his power. The reason why the atoms that exist stay connected the way they do is because of Jesus Christ. And the moment that he stops holding them together, guess what's going to happen? What happens when you split an atom? A big boom. Across the entire universe. Imagine everything that you see in existence. Everything. All the atoms split simultaneously. Everything. Everything. It's like one big nuclear reaction where everything is just burned up and everything is gone. From the rocks to the plants to the buildings. Everything. Everything. Everything is now gone. And Revelation speaks that that's the day where the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And then stood the dead, small and great, before God to give an account to God. So there is going to be a day where the earth shall be removed, where everything is going to go completely away. And in that day, there's going to be very few people that have peace. The people that have the peace are the people that know God. Jack. There's nothing to stand on more than standing on. God makes a stand. Mm-hmm can't underestimate god he'll make it happen i don't know exactly how but that's what the bible says and i believe it so all right so the reason why i to spend more time on this front is because we need to dispel this fear and this dismay and we need to hear and believe and obey god's word that's what you need to do now this may seem rudimentary and it really really is this is simple stuff this is very very basic stuff but many of us keep tripping up and we keep messing up and we keep falling and we can't get back into the battle because you don't do the basic stuff like, there's no secret recipe to this. I mean, the only thing that you got to do is to get into God's word, read it, believe it, and obey it. Like, if you were just to do that, you would see a dramatic improvement in your walk with God and in your relationship with him. Just that alone. Read it, believe it, obey it, and you will be less afraid. You will be less down about who you are and your mistakes that you've made in your life. You'll be able to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish on that day. Forget the future. Just think about today for right now. You just do those things and God will take care of so many other things. So that's what he tells them. Go back to Joshua. That's what he tells them. Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. And then he says, listen, I've given you AI. I've given this city to you. I've given you the king. I've given you everything. So that takes us to our next point here. You need to face your failure head on. A lot of us don't want to do this. Our failures, we just want to kind of, meh, let's throw them in the closet, put them under the rug. Let's pretend like they don't exist. I call B-O-L-O-G-N-A on that one. They don't know how to spell belong a lot. Okay. You've already like... I know, I know. I say that's ridiculous. You can't do that. Okay, so here's the reality, and this is part of just growing up and being responsible. You have got to face your failures head on. You have to. You gotta admit when you're wrong. You have to make things right. You have to. These people, they could not go to another city and take that without taking AI. They just made a mess of themselves. I mean, embarrassing. They just miraculously took Jericho, this double-walled city that was nearly impossible to accomplish outside of God. And now he tells them to go do AI and they're like, oh, AI, this is a piece of cake. I mean, the number of men, way less city, I mean, we got this. They go in there, and then they're running like sissies. <laughs> and people are dying. Okay, 
Now they're like, okay, now go and take AI. And they're like, really? I mean, we got our butts kicked the last time. Now we got to go back and take AI? Yeah. And then look at what God tells them to do. Because God gives them the battle plan again. Look at verse 2. And, and thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey to yourselves. Lay thee in ambush for the city behind it. So now they're going to take the city through ambush. So now Joshua knows exactly what they need to do. So what is an ambush? Somebody explain to me what an ambush is. Yeah. Surprise mm-hmm. attack. But in order to have a surprise attack, what do you have to have? Okay, yeah. Yeah, a surprise. <coughs> distraction. You gotta have a distraction. Anyone ever try to do a surprise party for anybody? Okay. Now, the successful ones are able to distract the person you're trying to surprise until the appropriate time, right? And there might be one or two of you jerks out there that always try to spoil it. You just don't mean to, you just do. All right. But you have to have a distraction in order to have the surprise. So, an ambush is a surprise attack. So thinking about Joshua and how he's going to do this, what is he going to do? He's going to send a small group to the front and the main force from behind. Okay. But then what's the group in the front? What are they going to do? They're going to like shoot a couple arrows and turn around and run. Yeah, they're going to act like they failed again, and they're going to run to draw the people out of the city in order for them to think, oh, these crazy Israelites, we got this. We got them again. And they're going to get them overconfident, and then they're going to ambush them from behind. So that means these guys have to pretend like they failed again. That's kind of embarrassing. I mean, if you want to be honest about it, I think it's a little bit embarrassing. I want to be part of the ambush. No. Nope. You got to go and act the sissy. Oh. All right. So you have these guys that are running up front, and that's exactly what he tells them to do. Joshua instructs the whole thing. Let's just go ahead and read it. This is exactly what he tells them to do. So in verse 3, we're going to do 3 through, let's see here. Uh, God gives them the battle plan. We're skipping ahead a little bit. Um, because here's the reality behind it. And the reason why I wanted to call that verse out just to, before we move on to point number two is you got to face your failure head on, but you have to do it God's way. you got to do it, not your own way. This is not what they wanted to do. I mean, I bet you a million bucks, a million bucks. These guys, they wanted to go in and just take the city. All right, we got God behind us. Let's go ahead and take it. And God's like, no, 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 no. Got to do an ambush. So again, they're in a situation. Do we trust God and obey God or we do what we want? And they decide we got to do what God wants. Because if we don't do what God wants, we're going to fail again. So they set up the ambush. Because if they don't, they're going to fail again. So now, God gives them the, the battle plan. All right. So verse 3. So Joshua rose and the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in wait against the city even behind the city, go not very far from the city, but be ye already. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they come out against us as at the first, that we will flee before them. And they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they will flee before us as at the first, therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall arise, ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them forth. All right, so the battle plan is completely laid out by God. God gives it to Joshua. Joshua lays it out to them because remember Joshua is another name for? Jesus. So that's our point here is that you need to follow your Lord back to battle. God gives you very specific things for you to do to be obedient, to get back into the battle. Very simply, let me just give you something very, very simple and something very basic. Okay, you struggle with reading your Bible on a daily basis. Get back into the battle. What do you need to do? Read your Bible. Your relationship with God just doesn't seem like it's, it's just, you know, it's not very fruitful. Like it's not real. It's not really, well, what do you need to do? Pray. You need to talk to God and you need to pray. You need to get back into the battle. I mean, if the coach calls you to get into the game and you just keep your duff on the bench, what's it going to profit you? Nothing. Nothing. You're not going to get back into the game. You're not going to play. So that leads me to think, well, even do you want to play? Like, do you even want to win? I mean, I do. I want to win. Like, when I'm playing a game, I want to win. 
<laughs> I'm not someone who wants to just, oh, oh well, yeah. No, this is my team. This is my team. This is this is who I. This is part of who I am. I mean, God is like. I mean, He's my coach. He's He's my He's everything. And like, I don't want to fail Him. I want to do a good job. And there's so many Christians that are just sitting there on the bench. They're like, eh. oh well, I've already lost anyway. No, you haven't lost. Have you even read the Bible? Who wins in the end? Jesus. The guy that you're following. Okay, so get back in there. Yeah, right now things are hard. We live in a deceitful time of church history where everything seems to be completely against us. Who cares? We win. So get back in it. You think that just because there's a bunch of, you know, weak Christians that are just a bunch of sissies that are out there not doing their job that you have to follow along and do the exact same thing? No. No. And, you're, and is that going to be an excuse? Like, there's going to come a day where you're going to stand before Christ, and you're going to give an account for what he's given you in your stewardship. And he's going to look at you and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I gave you this. I gave you this opportunity. I gave you this spiritual gift, and you didn't use it. I did this. I, did, I put you here with this person, and you kept your mouth shut. And I gave you this opportunity to be obedient, and you just didn't. I gave you this opportunity to repent, and you just stayed in your sin the entire time. Why didn't you do it? Well, I mean... All these other Christians around me, they were just kind of doing the same thing. And I'm just like, and I'm like, well, I just, I didn't, I mean, okay. What are you going to say on that day? Like, I think about this kind of stuff and it motivates me to get out of my nonsense and actually be obedient. Like, what am I going to say to my Savior who bled and died for me? Who took all my sin upon his shoulders and suffered in my place. And I'm going to look at him and... I mean, what excuse can I give him? I can't. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing I can say. So, I need to get off the bench and get into the game. I need to. And you got to start somewhere. You can't take the world without conquering what's in front of you right now. God can't use you to reach other people if you are not being submissive in your heart towards him first. So, think about that day. You've got to think about that day. Because every single one of us are going to stand before your Savior. And you're going to give an account of what you did and why you did it and why you didn't do what you were supposed to do and why you didn't do this or do that or why you chose to do this rather than that. You're going to have to give an account. So live wisely. Live in light of that day. You've got to. So God lays it all out for these people. And he's laid everything out. And he tells them exactly what to do. And so all they need to do is just be submissive and be obedient. And thankfully, they do. They take the risk and they obey Joshua. And this takes us from verse 9 through 22, which we don't have time to read all of it right now. So let's just hit, let's see here. Uh, Let's see. All right. And it came to pass, verse 14, that when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before uh, before the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in the ambush against them behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And see, what I love about this is that Joshua is on the front lines. He is on the front line. He's the first one to take a risk. And that's exactly like our Savior. Like, if God calls you to do something, don't ever think that he's not with you in that moment. That he's not with you in that thing that he's calling you to do. Of course he is. He's telling you to do it, and he's on the front line with you, and that's exactly what Joshua did. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel, verse 17, that went not out after Israel, and they left the city open and pursued after Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of their place, And they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it and hasted and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, 
and that the smoke of the city ascended. Then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he had stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And it kind of continues from there. And I'll read verse 29 here in a minute. But here's the whole point. The battle plan was laid out. They took the risk and they obeyed Joshua. And then I already mentioned this one. Joshua, or Jesus, was already on the front lines. He was leading the entire battle. And then notice what he did. What did Joshua do? Did Joshua fight in this battle? What did he do? Mm -hmm. So he was on the front lines. He was the first one to take a risk. He goes out. He has the ambush. They run. And then all of a sudden, God says, Joshua, lift up thy spear. And he lifts it up. And as soon as the men of the ambush see it, they come out and they take the city. And it says, very specifically, 26, For Joshua drew not his hand back, or with he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. What does that remind you of? Where else did that happen in Scripture? Moses, Moses with the battle against the... Nope. Amalekites. It's with the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were some evil people. But Moses had his rod, his staff, and he held it up. And then who helped him? Aaron and her, H-U-R, not like H-E-R. Her, Aaron and her, held him up on either side. And who is fighting in that battle down below? Joshua. Joshua is fighting that battle down below with the Amalekites. Now, this time around, Joshua is now the one holding up the spear and now other, everyone else is fighting the battle. Now, this might seem like a very little thing. This is massively huge. Because Moses was the leader of the people at the time. And that's a picture of what in the scriptures? Prayer. It's a picture of prayer. When Moses was holding up that staff. And now Joshua is now the leader of the people. And now he's praying while the battle is going on. See, this is something, just being honest with you, has, has really deeply <clears throat> convicted me. Because I pray for you guys, but I should be praying more than what I do. And it's something God's been moving in my heart over the last several weeks. Because I'm here teaching you, trying to motivate you to get back into the battle. And while the battle's going on and I give you God's battle plan and you're out there executing it like you should be, I should be back holding up the spear and praying for you guys more than what I am. And I just want to say that I'm sorry for not praying for you more. Because I should. It's part of my responsibility. I don't have the chance to fight battles as much anymore now that I'm in the position that I'm in. I used to. I worked out in the corporate world. I went to college. I did all those other things. But now I'm not there anymore. My responsibilities have changed. I'm no longer in the valley taking fighting. You guys are doing that. That's what you're doing. That's your responsibility. I have mine at home, and I got my neighbors I can minister to, but it's not like the opportunities you guys have now. And I need to be praying for you more now because that's what Jesus is doing for us. He had his time in the valley, and he fought his fight. And now he's in heaven at the right hand of God, and he's praying for you to succeed. That is what he is doing, and that's also part of my responsibility as well. So that's something that really stood out to me a lot. And that's letter D. Jesus, Joshua, will be praying for us the entire time. And then lastly, and we already read it, the city and all therein must be destroyed by the sword and by fire. And that king of that city must be annihilated. Verse 29. Read verse, read verse 29. Somebody read it. 29. Who wants it? Go ahead. No. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until he died. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he, they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise there on a great heap of stones that remain to them to this day. Okay. So in this city that keeps tripping you up and causes you to fail, that king must be annihilated. The 
king has got to go. The king has to be killed. And I'm telling you, a lot of you guys, you will not be able to overcome some of these issues in your life unless you destroy the city completely with the edge of the sword and with fire. Guess what those are a picture of? Give me two volunteers. Hebrews 4.12. Jack. Carson, do Jeremiah 23.29. That city and all therein must be destroyed by the edge of the sword and by fire. And that king has to be hung. Now what's interesting is that Galatians 3.13 says that anything that is hung by a tree is called accursed. So you take that step, you call it as a curse. This has been a curse in my life and I need to destroy it. But you need to destroy it by the edge of the sword and by fire. Listen to these two verses. Hebrews 4, 12. Go ahead, Jack. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and the center of thoughts and the intents Okay, so let's stop there for a second. So the word of God is like a two-edged sword, okay? Very specifically, a two-edged sword. And it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what I love about the Bible? Let's say you struggle with something. Give me something that you guys might struggle with. Anything, come on. Well, I mean, that's it's not like... Okay. Okay, so diligence, okay? So let's say diligence, because that kind of gets a procrastination, stuff like that, Okay. So being diligent about your work and everything. You know what you need to do? What do you need to do? Go to Blue Letter Bible and type in the word. That's right. Go to BLB. Go to Blue Letter Bible. If you don't have your app on your phone, you need to get it. And you need to take that word and type in diligence. Put an asterisk by it. Yeah, or diligent or whatever. And you will find verses in Proverbs, Psalms, all over the scriptures where you can read them and you can learn, hmm, I need to kill that part of my life and I need to be more diligent. Well, how do you kill it? By the edge of the sword. So you read, hear, believe God's word, and you obey it. That's what you do. That's what you do. I have certain verses about the struggles in my life that I go to. I gave you one already. Fear of man bringeth a snare, but the whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. There are certain verses that I go to where it eliminates that thought. Because once I'm afraid, I'm afraid, uh, okay, hold on. What did God say? Okay. That's what God told me to do. I choose to believe God over my own feelings. So by the edge of the sword. Now, listen to Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? That's what God says. Is not my word like a fire? It is. It is. And the word of God has the ability to burn up all the junk in your life if you let it. But what do you got to do? Same thing. Take your struggle. Go to the scriptures, believe what it says, obey it, and it will burn up and it will be gone. That's what you do. That's what the Bible says. It's very simple. Very, very simple. So if you want to stop struggling, you have got to do those things. It's going back to the stuff we've already talked about. Hearing, believing, obeying God's word. All right. Now let's end with this. And this is the part that I really want us to take a look at too, because this is the part that I think people tend to miss. Once you're willing to take the step to get back into the battle, once you take the step to be willing to deal with your sin... Go back, face your failures, annihilate that city, destroy it with the edge of the sword, burn it with fire. I'm done with this. I need to just get this behind me, move forward in the mission that God's given me. Now, here's something that you have to remember. You have got to remember this. Verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests of the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well as the stranger, as well the stranger as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word 
of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. After the battle, boom, done. Deal with it. But now, now you have to remember that you need to reestablish proper authority and worship or else what's going to happen? You're going to have another AI. Okay, deal with your sin. A lot of this it happens at camp. Summer camp, winter camp. We're like, all right, you know what? I'm going to annihilate this thing. I'm going to kill it with the edge of the sword. I'm going to burn it with fire, and it's going to be done. But if you don't make it a point to reestablish proper worship of God in your life and authority, the authority of God's word, and you don't remember to do that outside of camp day after day after day, after day, after day, then you will forget who you are, what you are here for, and you're going to go back and you're going to have another AI again and again and again and again and again. And that really is why we're doing this chapter. Because I think a lot of you guys, and a lot of times me included, that we keep having AI situations. It's a circumstance that should be a piece of cake. should be no problem to take the city. And yet, we keep falling back into the junk again and again and again. Aren't you tired of doing that? Like, don't you, for once, just want to live a successful Christian life where you don't keep struggling the way that you have been? Do you understand that it's possible? It's completely possible. And the reason why we keep struggling again and again and again is because we do not reestablish proper authority and worship. Let's look at these three verses and then we'll go. Psalm 62. I want us to read all these ones together and we'll end here. Psalm 62. Psalm 62, 1 and 2. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. See, when this is your attitude, that's why you're not going to be greatly moved. Because he is your salvation, not just eternally, but now. He's your rock. He's your defense. He's everything. He's absolutely everything. We need to remember that. We need to reestablish that as something that's in our life. Look at Job 23.12. Job 23.12. This one talks more about reestablishing the authority of God's word in our life. Look at verse 11. And we'll do 11 and 12. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth, or the word of God, more than my necessary food. God's words are so important to me that they are more important than anything else. Anything else. The words of God's mouth are are more important and more necessary than my food. Do you hunger after God's word like that? Many don't. And I would dare to say that most don't. Go to John 15. John 15. And I want to challenge you. Do you actually believe this verse that we're going to read? This is a verse that hits home for me. This is one of those verses that I've memorized a long time ago. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Are you so dependent upon God that in your heart and your mind that you realize that without him, I can't do anything? Because, see, that's part of my problem. I can be very self-sufficient. I can be very independent. 
And I can think, I got this. I got this. When in reality, I need this person in my life. Because God says, no, without me, you can't do anything. Because even the things that I think I can do, I start to defile because of my own self-will and my selfish nature. So without him, I cannot, I can't, I can't do anything. So you know what that causes me to do? It causes me to stop and to talk to him more. It causes me to think through what has God said about this? Because if I don't do that, then, then I get in the driver's seat and then I make a mess of everything. My will has to go. His has to take the place. His has to be the authority. And when you don't live that way and you don't reestablish proper authority in the worship of God in your own life, you will go back and you will keep getting defeated again, 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 again. And then eventually what's going to happen? You are going to quit. You're going to quit. You're going to think, what's the point? And that's why people quit on God. That's why people abandon Christianity because they never are truly, truly dependent upon the Lord. They're too prideful. They're too selfish. They're too self-centered. And they're not willing to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to follow you and do what you want. All right, let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us with these things. These are big, big things that could really shape our lives inside and out. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see the things that we need to just give over to you and to be obedient, to stop being stubborn and stop being selfish and help us to overcome the fears that we have and the things that cause us to be dismayed that we may be obedient. Um, You're totally worth it. When I think about my own life and the struggles that I've had where I've been very self-focused, it's because I've not been thinking about you properly. Because when I think about you and the day that I'm going to see you face to face, it changes everything in my mind and in my heart. So I pray you'd help us to keep that at the forefront. Thank you for your word. It truly does give us everything that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.